awkwardness be a way to describe that. So many times when we approach this subject, whether it be in a setting like that, or just in a, as we're talking about it here with people, uh, whether it be in church, which unfortunately we often don't even talk about it there, or we do in the wrong way, or whether it be just two people talking about it. So many times when we talk about sex, it becomes very awkward. And I want to talk to you this morning, Just I have some principles, just, just from the Bible. And most of you know, if you don't, if you haven't, maybe you don't know, if, you, if you're visiting with us, um, I, I, I believe the Bible. I, we're, we're, we're part of what we're about, of what we are about. Not just part. As a church, is, is proclaiming the truths of Scripture. And so many times these things either get ignored or distorted. And I just want to go to the Bible and read to you some verses. Maybe you didn't know some of them were there. Maybe you didn't know exactly, you know, certain things were said. I just want to do that. And as we do that, um, we're going to talk about principles, basically, of fulfilled lovemaking from the inventor of sex. And that would be God. I wanted to call this Lessons in Sex from a 30-plus year veteran, but, you know, that didn't, you know, I couldn't remember how long I'd been married, so it was 34, 30, almost 34 years. But anyway, that got nilled, that got nixed. Um, so I want to show you four principles. Um, now, a couple of things I want to make mention of real quick. Number one, this is all under the this is all under the umbrella of grace, and you need to understand that this is all under the umbrella of grace. Many of us here have have messed these up in one way or the other. Some of you, some of some have violated some of the principles I'm going to talk about, and and you're going to say, "Well, I, I screwed that up." Listen, this there's still forgiveness for whomever you are, wherever you are, and whatever's going on in your life or whatever's happened in your life. So. This is all under the umbrella of grace. My purpose is not to make you feel bad, to make you feel guilty, or to put shame on you. That is not my purpose. Okay? That's one thing that I want you to see. All right? The other thing, the other little, little categorical statement that I want to make or, uh, in terms of this whole thing, and that is this. Wherever you are, it's never too late to do what's right. And you've got to fill in the blank and where you are. I mean, some of you, maybe you've been through a marriage or two or three, and maybe some of you have been through untold numbers of, of sexual relationships. Maybe you're still thinking through some of this. Hopefully some of you are still thinking about it. Some of the, some of, we have some teenagers here, and God knows we're glad you're here. You need to be here. Um, I'm sorry, you guys need to be here. I mean, you see all the other crap everywhere else. You need to hear the truth from the Bible. So I'll be talking to you a little bit, so you know. And the f- funny thing about that is, you'll probably be the least embarrassed here. You know, that's the funny thing about that, because God knows you've already seen everything else, but uh, and, and, and heard it and so forth. Wherever you are, whatever whatever your deal is, it's never too late to do what's right. And we have grace, and we thank God for that. So I want to I want to begin by saying that, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say that again, because I I, I just don't want people leaving here feeling bad or guilty or or beat up, or anything else. I just really don't want that. I just want you to see the truth. That's all I want. I want you to see the truth, and then I want you to deal with it between you, and, and if you're married, your mate, or your prospective mate, and God. That's it. It's between you and God, ultimately. So, uh, four principles we're going to look at. The first one I'm going to take a little more time on, and then and kind of blow through the last three. But the first one is this. Lovemaking is intended for a lifetime love affair. Lovemaking is intended for a lifetime love affair. Sex, I'm going to call it lovemaking, because I sometimes think we call it sex to get away from 
what it really is. That doesn't sound, that doesn't sound lovemaking makes it sound what it really is. Sex, we can kind of get away from, from, from the original purpose sometimes. But sex or lovemaking is intended for a husband and a wife as an expression of a lifelong, unconditional love relationship. Intended for a husband and a wife as an expression of a lifelong, unconditional love relationship. That's what it is. And it's a beautiful thing. We're going to talk, and it's, it's, it's a fun thing, and we're going to talk about some of the issues involved with that. I want to just, I want to jump into this because the first thing I have to defend is, is what the Scripture teaches about sex, who's, who, who's, who is it for. And um, I want to show you what the Bible says. It's, I'm just going to show you what the Bible says. I mean, I'm not telling you, you know, I didn't write it. You deal with it, all right? I'm just going to lay it out there and you deal with it. And as I've told many of my many friends over the years, they say, well, I don't agree with that. I'm like, I don't really care. I do care. But, I mean, the point is I didn't, I didn't write it, okay? I don't take it personal if you want to disagree with it. It's pretty difficult to disagree with without just basically, you know, uh, taking out the guts of the Scripture, but we'll just... Here it is. First passage I want you to see is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. And I'll show this for you on the screen. have it for you on the screen. Now, about the questions you ask in your letter. The Apostle Paul here is answering a letter they had apparently sent to him from Corinth. He says, Yes, it is good to live a celibate life. I'll come back to that. Verse 2, But because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. Now... <clears throat> Is celibacy in the Scriptures? It is. And if you read further on and and, and around that, celibacy is considered a gift. I haven't quite figured that out yet, but it's a gift. (laughs) Obviously, you can tell what I'm not gifted with, right? I was teaching, teaching, I'll tell you guys this, you can listen. I was teaching this junior high class one time, Bible study, and we're talking about some gifts, and I was talking about the gift of celibacy. And I was explaining what it was. It means that you have, you don't, you know, you have the gift of celibacy, you never have sex with a person of the opposite sex. And some guy came to me just right after it was over. Hey, 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 Rich, 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 Rich. I said, what is he? He says, do you think I have that gift? Do you think I have that gift? <laughs> and he was just so, I mean, he was just in a panic because he just, he was just had this look of horror on his face. Do you think I have that gift? And I said, my friend, the way you look and the way you, I don't think you got that gift, buddy. You know, I don't think that's a problem for you. All right. <laughs> now, having said that, <laughs> Let me just assure you, there is that gift. And there are people I know who I have a high regard for that have that gift. There aren't, I think I know about, of all the people I've known over the years, maybe I can count them on one hand, where they just, and we're not talking about gay or some other kind of thing. We're talking about people who have no sexual drive whatsoever. Okay? There is that gift. There are a few people like that in this world and that's fine. And the Apostle Paul is acknowledging that. It's not better. It's not worse. It's not superior. It's not inferior. But it is a gift for a few people. Now, I'm going to say a couple of things today about the Roman church. And we have a lot of people from that background. And I want you to know I love, I have a lot of friends in the Roman Catholic Church who I have the highest regard for, including priests. But this is one area where they have just screwed up the works. And you need to hear that from somebody who knows the Bible. Okay, that is not in the Bible. It's business about the priest and, 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 and men of God, and ministers being celibate. That is not in the Bible anywhere. They have their church tradition. They're, they're not the only ones, by the way. But it, it's just, and it, it, they, you know, it's a good thing, sure. But is it for everybody? 
No. No way. It's not for everybody. It's not for everybody that claims to, 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 to be a minister that desires to, to serve God in, in the kind of things that I do and so forth. So that's one area where I think it's just, it's just it's, it's, well, we've seen some of the perversion that comes out of some of that stuff, and it's just, it's just awful. It's just awful. And um, it's what happens when people misapply and misinterpret the Bible. We've seen it over centuries. And unfortunately, we've seen it in this decade and how, how some of the things that come out of that is just awful. So anyway, he says it's a good thing to be celibate, but, but because there's so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, each woman. So the assumption here, sexuality, sex, lovemaking between a husband and a wife. Let me show you Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15. Drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in public? Have sex, having sex with just anyone. You should reserve it for yourselves, husbands and wives. Don't share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She's a loving doe, a graceful deer. Let her breast satisfy you. Boy, he gets pretty graphic here, huh? Good stuff. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated or intoxicated, some Bibles read, by her love. Wow. I, you know, I, I, one of the things I love about the Bible is God gets, he deals with this stuff very bluntly, and he doesn't blink. He doesn't blink, because this is, this is like Solomon wrote this under the inspiration of God. Husband and wife again. Obviously, there's another verse. I'm going to show it to you. I think you already know it. The Ten Commandments. What's one of the Ten Commandments? Don't commit adultery. You say, yeah, but isn't that for married people? Well, it includes that, but you need to understand, adultery is, is sex with anyone who is not your husband or your wife. You say, well, they're not married, and I'm not married. Well, is that your wife? Is that your husband? That's the biblical standard. And you say, well, I don't accept that. That's between you and God. Okay, it's not between you and me, and, and I love you just as much anyway, and, and, and God will love you. I will say this, there are certain consequences that go along with that when we, when we violate these things, and they're not, they're not positive consequences. And you, and you need to understand, now some of you have been through that, and, and you've been forgiven, great. Just thank God for His forgiveness and move on. But what you need to understand about this whole thing is, that's, that's the standard that God gives us. In the Bible, it's for the husband and it's for the wife. Now, I want to deal with, with more of that in just a moment, but lovemaking is intended for a husband and a wife as an expression of a lifelong, unconditional love relationship. That's what it is. And, and you need to deal with this. And if your argument, if you, know, if you don't want to accept... You know, here, here, well, let me just mention this. Some, because there are cer- certainly, there are certain things about the Bible that, you know, we're going to talk about the cultural implications here. Right? Because what about the culture? Isn't this a, a, a... You know, there are certain what I would call transcultural precepts in the Bible. Certainly there are some issues in the Bible that are strictly dealing with the culture. He gets into some things about dress and about hair in 1 Corinthians 11 and 1 Peter 3 and some other things that go on with that. But there are also certain principles that are clearly transcultural, that goes, that goes through any culture. The Ten Commandments would be one of those. Because if you say, well, I don't accept what the Bible says about sex, well, well what about that lying thing? Well, was that just for the culture? It's okay to lie. Go ahead and lie. Don't worry about it. Bernie Edwards, you know, no big deal what he did, you know. 
If you want to, if you want to, if you want to take that whole thing out of the context of what the Bible says, obviously I do think it's a big deal what what, what he did with WorldCom and so forth, and apparently so does the government, you know, with uh, basically a life sentence for cheating. One of the Ten Commandments, right? So when we start talking about these things, don't don't just say, oh, that doesn't that doesn't apply because then you start getting other. Well, what what does apply? How about cheating and lying? I mean, what happens if you start if you start taking enough of these things away? You basically do away with civilization, a total lawless civilization. So, so we have these these what I call ageless truths or trans transcultural transdispensational views, and and that's that's part of the issue here. If we're going to accept the Bible, and, and you know what, part of it also is faith. I believe the Bible, and I and I've seen I've seen I've lived just long enough to see what happens. When, when, whether it's me or whether it's you, when we violate the truths of the Scripture, it's not just, oh, oh, you know, you get, you get a little, little slap on the wrist. You see heartache and heartbreak and relationships that are just so messed up and kids that, that, that are the result of that and, and, and families. and it, it's, it's tragic. All of that comes when we start, as my understanding, of, of going against what the Scripture teaches. So, one of the other issues that has to be dealt with when we talk about that whole cultural thing is this, because some people will say, well, wasn't this for the biblical culture and the culture today is much different because we're marrying later and, and having kids later and our lifestyle, life is longer? And, that, and that's a legitimate question. I've had that question many times. And here's a couple things you need to think about. And very, very seldom, those of you who are visiting with us, very seldom will you hear me say what I'm about to say today, and that is, well, here it is, and that is sometimes... We have to go against the culture. For instance, they say, well, you know, if, if a person's hormones and sexual drives are, are just really peaking in their 20s, and, and the average age now, whatever it is, 20, depending on where you live, around here it's close to 30, and in other parts of the, of the country it's, it's, it's younger than that and so forth. But, but what do we expect these people to do during those, that other period of time before they get married? I mean, they, I mean, they have these drives, this natural drive, God-given drives. What do we expect them to do? I'll tell you what I think the Bible teaches about this. You get married. You say, but now wait a minute. What if, what if they're too young? What's too young? I'm not suggesting teenage marriages, by the way. Don't, don't, don't go there. But I, and I'm going to show you a verse in a moment that, that when people start saying, well, we're going to be engaged, we're going to be engaged for a year. Now, I always preface it in my remarks this way. If you intend not to be in bed with one another for the next year, you're crazy. Okay? You're absolutely crazy. And when our own kids got married, both of them we, we talked with, and in my, my son's case, he was a junior in college. And he said, Dad, she is the one. I promise you, she's the one. And I, we talked to her, she's the one. And he said, do you feel like you can be supportive of me? Um, I don't mean support financially. I mean, I, I, we paid for both of our kids' education, certainly. But in terms of the other things, of course, they, they did their own. And... and uh, he said, do you think you can be supportive of me emotionally if, if I'm married uh, for my junior and senior year in college? And I thought, what's the alternative to that? Yeah, I can be supportive. I'll even marry you, okay? Or, or whatever you need me to do. And in that case, I was his best man, which was an honor for me. But, but um, um, the issue here is this. Maybe sometimes we go, and some of your parents may not want to hear this. I don't know. Don't really care. But in some cases... In some cases, we may need to say to kids in their 20s, who says you've got to wait till you're 30? 
Well, the New York culture. I don't care about the New York culture. I care about you doing things God's way. And, and you know what? If, if this is God's person for you, and, and you've both prayed about it, and you've sought some counseling, and, and, and this is the right person, you know, there's another thing that you can get married, and you don't have to worry about kids for a while either. It's called birth control. That's the other area that I've got to talk about. I'm sorry, I've got to talk about it. And that's another area where I've got to tee off of my friends again. I don't know why, well, I do know why, but this whole Catholic thing of birth control, my gosh, that is just the most ungodly thing I've ever heard. It's not in the Bible. Birth control is fine. I know a lot of you come of a Catholic background and you take birth control for rheumatoid arthritis or something, but, but, but I mean, you know, you do. I know, I know your tricks. You know, I know how that works. <laughs> it's great for arthritis, but... But we have birth control. And, and to say that the Bible doesn't, you know, here's, here's the assumption behind those who've tried to make birth control wrong. The assumption is that, listen to this carefully, the assumption is that sex is only for procreation. That's a wrong assumption. And they'll go back to the Genesis where, where God says, you know, He talked to Adam and Eve and He says, be, uh, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Well, let me help you with this one. The earth has been replenished. Okay? <laughs> The earth has been replenished. In case you didn't know that, you learned something before you leave here today. We're in great shape, all right? That's not a problem. But when you have, the assum- when you have that assumption, and, then, and I, again, that's not just Roman Catholic people. I know some hardcore Baptists like this as well, and some other denominations. So I'm not just going to pick on them, uh, who say, well, you know, sex is only for procreation. Well, if you believe that, I don't even want to eat dinner with you, man. I mean, that's, that is just that is one perverted view of life right there. And that's not in the Scripture. There's a, there's a great passage in the Bible. We won't go there right now. But there's a great passage in the Bible where Abraham and Sarah are going somewhere. And it says, Abraham was, in the King James, it says, Abraham was sporting with his wife. <laughs> Why are you like that, man? Ah, oh, they weren't playing Frisbee. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's just throughout the Scripture on this thing. And it's important for us to understand this. It's important for us to have this, this, you know, that's why when you read, when you read that passage and, 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 and let your wife be the fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She's a loving, a loving doe, a graceful deer. Let her breast satisfy. You think that's procreation? You know? It may involve that, but it's a whole lot more. All right. I could go on here, but we'll stop right there on that whole thing. Here's the point that I want you to see in this whole thing of culture. Sometimes we go against the culture. And sometimes, you know, and this happened with our son when he got married at age, whatever it was, 21, and he was a junior in, high, in college. And some people said, well, you know, I had a couple of guys come to me and say, well, it's kind of too bad your son's getting married so soon. And I said, why is that? And they said, well, you know, he hasn't had a lot of experience. And I, said, and I just stopped him. I said, if you're telling me because he hasn't lived with two or three women, hasn't had a whole bunch of sex, sexual relationships, and he's getting married now, I said, I want you to know I'm very thankful that he's been spared of some of that and that he's marrying the woman that he believes is his wife now. And I am. And, and that's true. Experience doesn't equate success. Look at the statistics. It's, 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 and, and it's an amazing. USA Today just did a story on it. Those who live together don't have any longer term, uh, any less rate of a divorce than those who don't. In fact, it's even more by a fraction. So there you go. Now, that, that whole thing. Let me say it again. Lovemaking is intended for a husband and wife as an expression of a lifelong, unconditional love 
relationship. A couple of other issues about that that I want to deal with. What about sexual compatibility? People say, I've had people say this, a number of people, well, don't you think I should know if I'm sexually compatible with this person before we get married? Okay? And let me, let me, let me help you with this one, okay? Uh, I'll, I'll tell you a story, real quick little metaphor to this, all right? A true story. I run, and I run, I run, I run intervals, and... And uh, the other day, I run the, I used, I've been going to the track at Milburn because it's a soft track and it saves my knees. And I'll run the sides, run the 100 and 120s, and then I'll walk the ends and I'll run the next, and it just, just beats the heck out of me. And, um, and the other day, I was feeling so good. I felt like I was 20. I, I, could, I could have taken any of you guys. I was ready for you, okay? Um, I was just, I felt so fast, you know, so good. The next day, I'm running. And I felt like I was a turtle. I felt like I was the slowest person on the face of the earth. I thought, oh, man. what Bodies change. That's in the course of 24 hours. Multiply that over years, over decades. So you might be sexually compatible at age 25. Well, what happens at 30 or 35? What happens after kids? What happens after women, you know, almost die giving birth to kids? And which, what I always tell our kids, you know, you... Treat your mother right. She almost died bringing you into the face of the earth. I mean, the whole pregnancy thing. I don't get it, man. You guys are amazing. Thank God. Thank, you know what they say. It's a good thing that God did that with women because we would never have kids. We wouldn't. We'd say, I'm not going to go through all that crap for this, you know, to be told I'm an idiot when they get to be a teenager. Um, um, we love you guys, but sometimes you're a little much. You understand that. Um, sometimes. Sometimes. Um, you know, the, the, the whole body chemistry changes. People change. Life happens. People lose jobs. People get new jobs. People come into their lives. All kinds of stuff happens. You know, age kicks in. People get sick. So when you start talking about this whole sexual compatibility thing, you can have that, but if it doesn't begin with a heart, it, it, it excuse the English, ain't going to happen all the time. You know, the minute that your mate becomes sexually incompatible, if you move on to another one, you're going to have a whole string behind you of of 8 or 10 or 12 or 15 ex-mates. And you don't want to live that way. Most people would agree. Whether you believe the Bible or not, that's not healthy. So, the sexual compatibility, life has many seasons, and sometimes it comes through great pain. Sometimes it comes through some work, emotional pain. Sometimes it comes we have to sit down and talk. Sometimes we may need to get a therapist to help us talk about some of these things, to work through some of these. Sometimes things happen where, where we have different deals going on in our lives and we've got to work through that. So, so be careful with that thing. Just because you're compatible at one particular age sexually doesn't mean it's always going to be that way without work and effort. And it can be, but it has to be more than just a physical thing. There are many hindrances. To a husband and a wife being committed to each other in a lifelong, unconditional love relationship expressed through sex. There are unfulfilled women and men on the prowl every day of the week. Every day of the week. It's amazing what happens. I mean, everything for... I, I, I'll tell you, this is this, I, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you something I didn't tell the 930 crowd. It, this just emphasizes how... How bad it can be. I had some woman try to pick me up in Kings the other day. Okay? That's how bad it's gotten, folks. You know? 
And I couldn't wait to get home and tell my wife either. Can you believe that? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, that did happen. It was just, I'll tell you the story some other time. But anyway, it, 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 it's, uh, it's weird how all, that stuff, how all that stuff works. There are unfulfilled men and women on the prowl in our society more than any other, probably. We could make some argument for that, but probably that, that many, many uh, sociologists believe that and teach that and so forth. We have to be sensitive to that. And we have to take the measures, the protective measures of whatever it, we can to protect ourselves. That's an individual choice. Hopefully there will be some accountability between you and your mate on that particular issue. But that's, that's something. There are other expectations that happen. There's something else that's happened in the last ten years that has really hurt in this whole area. It's called the Internet. It's called pornography. And you say, well, don't you, you're going to wax eloquent against porn. Well, I don't think I need to do that. I think most of us realize the unhealthiness that's involved. But when, when husbands or wives see some of the things that they see in terms of pornography, and, they, and, and, they, and, and it's just so stilted. It's fantasy, folks. And husbands say, you know, honey, that's, that's the way you're supposed to look. That's the things you're supposed to do for me. You know, it's, isn't it interesting? It's always pretty much for the guy. And there, there are exceptions. Not many. And this is the way they're supposed to look. And it's like, I've had to say two or three times, that's fantasy, you idiot. Do you not get that? That's why it's called pornography. Okay? And, and it can be very destructive and damaging in giving people a view of what sex is supposed to be. That's why your folks tell you sometimes, some of you have folks who tell you, don't go to certain movies. Is it because they're worried about you being polluted for the rest of your life? Well, maybe, but more important, because some of the, some of the impressions that you get are not real. And you think, well, that's the way life is supposed to be. And then life's not like that. You're like, oh my gosh, I've got to find out how life's going to be. And then, it, then, just, then it's, just a, it's, just a, oh, it's just an unending, dead-end trail that happens. And, that's, and, and guys, let me just, and I'll say guys, but it's not just guys. Be, I don't know where you are in this whole thing, but you need to watch your influence of that. All of us are hit with it. I mean, you can't help it. I mean, you get pop-ups from all over the place, I realize. Um, and uh, I'll tell you one thing that happened with us, which has been nice. Uh, Michael was on a kind of a eight-year quest to get us all on Macs. And it's kind of nice because on Mac you don't get pop-ups, which I've, I've enjoyed very much. But um, guys, let me just say this. Be careful. Be careful of the influences. And ladies, too, wherever you are on this whole thing, because this, this can be very destructive. Not to mention the fact that there's life in general. There are kids, there are interruptions, there are little kids, there are big kids. There are many hindrances to this whole thing of a lifelong sexual relationship to the person that you're committed to in an unconditional love relationship for the rest of your life. That's the first principle. And I said that's the longest one. The other ones won't take very long. Those, those, that's the first thing that I want you to see. Love making was intended and is intended for a lifelong love affair between a husband and a wife. Now, I have three others that I want to give you that are just kind of build on that. And I'll just get him, hit them very quickly, but you'll see my point. Lovemaking should be centered on your mate, on your husband or your wife. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says this, The husband should not deprive his wife of sexual intimacy, which is her right as a married woman. Nor should the wife deprive her husband. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband also gives authority over his body to his wife. So, here it is, right here, right here in the Bible. So, do not deprive each other of sexual relations. You're like, wow, I didn't know that was in the Bible. I could have used that the other night. Um, 
hopefully, it won't be that type of a deal, okay? Hopefully, you're not going to use this as a weapon, okay, in your, in your relationship with your wife or your husband. What this means, though, is there's no demands. There's no manipulation. It's not to be a, a punisher or reward. It's an expression of love, of a lifelong, unconditional love relationship. That's what it's to be. And it's a terrific thing. You know, and, and, and when, you, when you start thinking through some of that, I mean, it's to be centered on your mate. And uh, it's, I mean, it's pretty clear right there. 1 Corinthians 7, that's verses 3, 4, and 5. And it's just, it's, it's, it's good stuff. Let me show you a second. The, the, the third thing. Lovemaking should be frequent. You say, oh man, this is getting better. Um, <laughs> verse 5, 1 Corinthians again. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations. The only exception to this rule should be the agreement, the agreement of both, husband and wife, to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time. For a limited time. So they can give themselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, now watch this, they should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt them because of their lack of self-control. You know what's cool about that? The Bible assumes that there'll be a lack of self-control. And he says, be careful with this. He said, the only way there should be... Obviously, there are physical implications. There are all kinds of things that happen when, when women have babies. There are all kinds of things that can happen to the male or the female in terms of, sex, of uh, sexual stuff, in terms of, of health, and certain drugs sometimes affect all that. And we, and we understand how that works. And that's where we have to love and, and be sensitive and be understanding. So that, that's going to happen. We understand that. At least I hope you understand that. If you don't, you need to understand that. But... but uh, with the exception of those things, he says, this should be something that's a, that's, that's a part of your life. Frequently. Now, even the Bible says that, that husbands and wives shouldn't be separated sexually for a very long period of time. If you travel, obviously that's a different issue. You know, some, some guys are in the military or whatever. You deal with this the best way you can when you're with your wife or your husband, whatever the case may be. But it should be frequent. And it's not a matter of, you say, well, what's frequent? You know, I'm going to let you answer that. There's all kinds of studies out, and there's all kinds of statistics out, whether it's so many times a week or so many times a month or, 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 or whatever it happens to be. And that's something that you and, and your mate are going to have to stand up. But you know what? If it's not frequent enough, that's a discussion that needs to take place between the two of you. And I mean that. Under, you know, nice, unintimidating, non-threatening type of atmosphere. Honey... And it works both ways. It's not just, yeah, I know the, the, old, the old, you know, categorization is it's always the guy. It's not always the guy. Sometimes it's the woman. So it's the wife. And that, that discussion needs to take place in a non-threatening, non-intimidating kind of way. Honey, you know what? Somehow, somewhere, I'd like to be able to fi- for us to find more time to make love with one another. It's very important to me. You don't get boorish about it. You don't get, you know, you don't pout. You don't do the other kind of thing. It needs to be open an honest discussion about that. And maybe you need to have that with your mate. It's important to open up the Bible and say, Honey, I want to read you a verse. Let's talk about it. And, you know, and, and it's not a matter, you know, some people say, Well, you know, we're at an age now, we've been married this many years. That's not in the Bible. You know, it's like that one older guy, one older, somebody asked this older guy, he's like 80 years old, they said, So when did you stop making love? And he said, uh, About one o'clock this morning. Um, <laughs> my kind of guy right there, baby. Let me just tell you. Love that. Um, it's not an age thing. 
Obviously, sometimes age affects that. Again, physical things affect that. You deal with that as you can. Love making should be centered on your mate. Love making should be frequent. Last thing I want you to see is love making limits temptation. Love making limits temptations. Let me show you this. Paul's talking in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Go ahead and show you that. He says, now to those... Yeah, let's go to that. Now, now I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. This is the Apostle Paul talking. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. And there it is. I've used that verse before when I've talked to people about long engagements. Those who desire not to be in bed with one another. I've said, you guys are going to be engaged for how long? And you love each other? Yeah. You know, I was born at night, but not last night. Come on, you guys. And that's one of the things sometimes, some of you who know this, some of you who I've married and who are engaged, because one of my first questions is when they're, when they're engaged, because when you're engaged, it's so tough because you love each other. And if you're trying to stay, stay chased, it's trying not to, it's trying to stay, not, not, not having sex with one another stuff. And oftentimes I'll go on to, to those couples that I marry that I have this freedom, and I'll just say, hey, you guys keeping your hands off each other? And I can tell by the look in their eyes what's going on immediately. You know what I mean? You, their eyes kind of go like, okay, okay, you guys. Do we need to get this thing going on here? And you say, was that a big deal? Well, it, it, it can be a very big deal. Because, again, this is, this, is, this is the biblical standard. Maybe you violated it. Maybe somebody else violated it. And, and, and they got away with it. But, but that's not the issue here. The issue is, do I want God's best? That's what's important for us. Do I want God's best? And again, maybe that's happened in the past. Start now. Never too late to do what's right. Love making limits temptation. That's what he's saying because he's saying earlier in verse 5, he says, afterward they should come together again so Satan won't be able to tempt them because of their lack of self-control. But he says, it's better to marry than to burn and so forth. Um, you know, one of the things you need to think about, I'll say this to the wives, but it could apply to the husbands as well. It's, it's a tough world out there. Wherever you are, and this is, I'm, I'm gonna, again, I'm, I'm a guy, so I'm going to talk to, I'm going to talk to, to, to the wives, but it, it, please don't take that that it can't be the other way too, because it is. Wherever you are in your relationship with your mate, with your, with your husband, there's two or three out there probably got their eyes on him right now that he might work with or clients or, or, or whatever. And I'm not saying it's a competitive thing. I'm not saying, well, you've got to be intimidated by that. No, but you, you want to make sure all of the communication lines are open. And that's true, again, husbands and wives. That's why in the world that we live in, we need to be sensitive. We need to be open with one another on this stuff. I'm not saying if you make love to your mate every night, he'll never be tempted or she'll never be tempted. That's not the point that I want you to see. My point is this intimacy that has to take place, not just sexually, but it includes that. It also includes emotional. It also includes spiritual. It also includes physical affection. It's, it's a huge issue, and we can't ignore it. God doesn't ignore it. Doesn't ignore it at all. I want to say one more time. You know what? If you mess this up, God forgives. This is all under the umbrella of grace. But it's never too late to start. I'm going to read one more thing to you. And uh, come on up. Um, you're going to the, the, uh, Charlie and, and uh, Grace and Michael and, and the guys are going to come up. And they're going to do a song that I think will really be apropos for this. So as they're coming up, I want, I want to tell you about this passage I'm going to read to you. This comes from the Old Testament, the Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon is very descriptive, okay? And I'm going to read it to you from the Message Translation. And uh, it's very descriptive, and it's talking about a sexual relationship between a husband and a wife, okay? 
And I mean, and he, as I said, when God talks about sex, he doesn't blink. He created it. He invented it. And I want you to follow along. I'm going to have it for you on the screen. And just, I'm going to read it. And you just, it starts off with, with the, the husband talking to the wife. Okay, and then there's a, there's, a, there's a movement in there where she starts talking to him, and I'll show you that when that happens. But watch it. Song of Solomon, chapter 7. Here's the husband talking. Shapely and graceful, your sandaled feet. Queenly, your movement. Your limbs are lithe and elegant. The work of a master. you got a great body, is what he's saying. Your body is a chalice, wine-filled. Your skin is silken and tawny, like a field of wheat touched by the breeze. Your breasts are like fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is carved ivory, curved and slender. Your eyes are wells of light, deep with mystery. Quintessentially feminine. You're a sexy woman. That's what he's he's saying. Your profile turns all heads, commanding attention. The feelings I get when I see high mountain ranges, stirrings of desire, longings for the heights remind me of you. Watch this. I'm spoiled for anyone else. What woman wouldn't want to hear that? I'm, you, you've spoiled, I'm spoiled for anyone else. Honey. I lost my place. So good. I get, I get into this. Verse 6. Your beauty, within and without, within and without, is absolute. Dear lover, close companion. You're tall and supple like the palm tree, and your full breasts are like sweet clusters of dates. I say, I'm going to climb that palm tree. I'm going to caress its fruit. (laughs) Just reading the text, people. (laughs) Oh, yes, your breast will be clusters of sweet fruit to me. Your breath clean and cool like fresh mint. Your tongue and lips like the best wine. Then she talks. This is the bride. Yours, this is the the, the wife. Yours and yours are, are two, my love's kisses flow from his lips to mine. I am my lover's. I'm all he wants. I'm all the world to him. Come, dear lover. Let's tramp through the countryside. Let's sleep at some wayside. And then rise early and listen to the bird song. Let's look for wildflowers in bloom. Blackberry bushes, blossoming white fruit trees, festooned with cascading. This is some romance going on here, baby. Then I'll give myself to you right out there in public. Not in public. Right out there in the, in, in the country. Then I'll give myself to you, my love, to your love. Is that hot stuff or what? I mean, that sizzles, doesn't it? Let me, yeah, you can clap for that. That's good stuff. Let me pray. And uh, we'll, I want you to listen to this song. God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you do not hesitate to tell us what this thing of sex, lovemaking is all about. And that you're not, that you're not prudish about it that you're open, and God, I pray that each one of us would deal with it in the way that you're speaking to us, each one of us in that still, small voice right now. We thank you for Jesus, who gives us the ability to have a relationship with you, be able to talk about all this stuff. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.